0: Good to see you this morning, and I just want to wish you a happy, happy Thanksgiving. I pray that as you're out and about, that you are careful, and uh, for you that are watching online, welcome today. I, I want to make a quick announcement before we get into the message today. If you saw the post that I put up this week on our um, on our. Web page or on our email that goes out to you uh, after prayer and seeking wisdom and and these kind of things with the holidays approaching we have been forewarned and 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 you know it's just one of those times we've had to have some staff members tested this week um, for covid and you know it's it's OK when it's out there it gets a little closer we got to really prayerfully look at what we need to do. So, after the, after discussion and prayer and, and seeking wisdom, we uh, uh, we've decided that uh, beginning next week there will be no on-campus small groups. In other words, we were already uh, because of the holidays there were not going to be Bible fellowships next week or two weeks into December. But there, there was two weeks there that would be at the first of December, because they're say the in because we're going to be traveling, getting together families, Thanksgiving. We've decided to um, make so this week, today I'll get this out. Beginning next week, we will not have on-campus uh, small groups, and that they will not pick up again until January tenth. This allows our teams to. Uh, make sure we're healthy, going in uh, the way we need to. And so January 10th, we will re-engage at the beginning of the year. So I, I know that some of you think, oh, man, we've just been building momentum in this area. We, we're we not saying you can't meet. We're just, uh, the campus-wise, uh, we will not be meeting. But we will be having our three live services on Sunday, 8.30, uh, 10, and 11.30. And uh, uh, our online service will continue as well. So uh, for even when you're traveling next weekend, if you're out of town, make sure you catch it online. Uh, and so, you know, these are decisions that if you'd have told me a year ago we were going to have to make these decisions, I would say, you're out of mind. You're crazy. And yet here we are uh, at this time. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. We have come to the end of Joseph. We have, for ten weeks, we have been looking at the life of Joseph. And if you remember, the first week when we dealt with Joseph, we went to the end of Genesis. We, we saw where the story ended. Then we backed up and we talked about this test of character that Joseph went through, that all of us have been through during the course of this year at, at some level. And so uh, we come today to the last message. Now... Last week, Brett uh, uh, took us through chapter 42, and we're going to go to chapter 45 today in just a moment. But uh, I'm going to bring you current on what happened between 43, 44, and get us into 45. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Captain Edward Murphy. Now, I don't know if that name means anything to you yet. It will in just a moment. He was an aerospace engineer in the 40s and 50s. He worked on rockets, uh, rocket engines. He was a safety-critical systems kind of guy. In other words, you, if you're working on rockets, you look at the worst-case scenario, right, that uh, could go wrong. And so uh, Murphy, uh, a statement came from Murphy's approach to engineering that has become common to all of us. And it's simply this, if anything can go wrong... It will go wrong. That's known as Murphy's Law. And there are other Murphy's Laws. Actually, Murphy did not come up with it. Somebody just kind of made fun of Murphy and the way he was as an air, airspace engineer, and they came up with that statement for him. But there's other uh, Murphy's Laws that out there uh, that some of you may f- f- me be familiar with. Uh, it takes always longer than they say. That's the IKEA uh, theme uh, Right there. There's no such thing as a free meal or a free lunch. Uh, all the good ones are taken. Some of you ladies may have uh, heard that before. A watched pot never boils. Here's, here's one of my favorites, though. You take a man and you tell him there's 300 billion stars in the universe and he believes it. But if he sees a bench with a sign that says wet paint, he has to try it out. And uh, I think that that's, that's just uh, human nature right there. But as we've looked at Joseph for these ten weeks, I think there's a Joseph law that is out there. And basically, it's this. If something is going negative, you can guarantee guarantee that God is at work. Because everything that's negative happens in Joseph's life. We see God is working behind the scenes. Some of you need to hear this today. Some of you, you're thinking... Man, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all, right? And yet God is in the uh the back working through the scenes and you can see him at work in all of Joseph's life and that would be the Joseph principle. But what happened from when Brett left us off last time? Remember Brett uh took us from uh the child the the four the gosh, I'll get it out. The brothers coming from their father down, they were accused of being spies. They took their brother Simeon and they put him in jail. They sent the brothers back. When the brothers got back, they opened their sacks up. There was their money that they were supposed to be spending. And they told their father that we can't come back unless we bring our brother Benjamin with us. And uh, Jacob says, there's no way I'm going to send Benjamin with you. The last time I sent a brother to go find you, which was Joseph... Uh, you came back and told me he was dead. I cannot send Benjamin. What happens is, is the famine gets even more severe, and they're going to have to go down to Egypt again. And so they go. Judah, being the spokesman, goes to his dad and says, Dad, we need to go back, but we can't go back unless Benjamin goes with us, but we need to go. And so what Jacob says, he says, Okay, you can go, but here's what needs to happen. You need to take all the money back that was in your sacks, you need to take a gift from us, to, from our land, to give to this second-in-command that you've told me about. And you can take Benjamin, but if something happens to Benjamin, I will die myself. So they go back, and they go to Joseph's house, and uh, they meet with Joseph's steward, his servant. And they begin to retell the story. And uh, part of the story is about their father in his old age, and they've brought their son back. Well, what happens is, is is Joseph comes in at that point. He sees his brother. He sees his brother Benjamin. He goes and cries, which is kind of the M.O. for for Joseph. Uh, big boys do cry. He goes out and, and uh, expresses his emotion. But he needs to test his brothers because if God is fulfilling a plan here, Joseph wants to make sure his brothers are in a place that they can receive it, and and that their lives have been transformed. So he sets up another ploy with that fill the uh, brothers' bags with grain, send them to go away once again, put their money back in the bags, and in Benjamin's, I want you to put a silver cup that is mine in there. So the brothers, this happens, they go, they don't know what's in their bag other than they, the grain that they thought they came to get, Joseph sends his men. They run them down, and they catch up to them, and they op- they say that there's silver cup missing, and they said there's none of us that took it, but the one that took it, I tell you, uh, we will take his life. And so they look in the bags, and sure enough, in Benjamin's bag was the silver cup. And uh, Judah, as he tells this story to the when they brought back again, he says this. He says uh, he said. I will give my life in exchange for my brother Benjamin. Which Judah has come a light years at that point. And uh, what's interesting is uh, if you know your lineages, you know that Jesus came from the lion, the, lion, the lineage of Judah. And uh, isn't it interesting that Judah is saying he will take his brother's place, his brother Benjamin's place, when we see the lion of Judah, the lion of Judah, Jesus who stood in place for us and took our place. What a beautiful picture there. There's these nuggets all in God's Word. Let me say a, a quick word before we get into chapter 45, because I brought you current now. It's You notice there was a famine going on, and it, the famine got worse, and the brothers now had to go back to Egypt. Let me say something about famines. Famines are more than going without rain and, and going without food and these kind of things. Sometimes famines just happen in our life where we get dry, where we get um, things aren't going the way we think they should be going. And what happens is, is that we struggle and they, the famine makes us hungry to get into God's plan. Sometimes God has to bring a famine into your life before he can get you on his plan. And we don't like that. But Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, "Whoever, uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Folks, our M.O. is, our default is not to be hungry for God. God has to do something to get us hungry. And a lot of times that's a famine. And some of you are going through that right now. And you're thinking, Mark, if things get any harder. Yeah, but are you hungry and thirsting after God more than any other time? That's important for us to, to understand. So, Joseph sends his brothers and he he tests them. I think there's there's some testing. There are three different tests I I see. Number one, sincerity test. He's wanting to know, are they sincere? Have they truly changed? And then there is the uh, jealousy test. How are they going to... Deal with this brother Benjamin, you see Benjamin was joseph 's true blood brother he wasn 't a half brother, and so they wanted to know that he wanted to know that Benjamin was going to be taken care of and then there's this charity test uh, how are they going to take care of my father? He wants to make sure these brothers had truly been changed and and thus he finds that they are changed and that brings us to chapter forty five when he is going to reveal himself for the first time. To his brothers now what's interesting about this as before I read chapter 45 of Genesis is probably other than Jesus one of the greatest pictures of forgiveness and grace that you can ever see so let's pick it up Genesis chapter 45 it says then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. We're talking about 20 plus years of waiting to see dreams fulfilled in Joseph. He'd gone through all these things. All of a sudden, he's just overwhelmed to be in the presence of his brothers like this. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. In other words, they're standing, and if this is Joseph, they're thinking he is judge, jury, executioner, everything for us. They swallow their tongues, literally. They could not speak. They were in shock that this might be Joseph. But it... it It's interesting that Joseph sends everybody out of the room. I've tried to figure out why he sent everybody out of the room. He's going to weep and he's going to weep and they're going to all hear him outside the doors. Why would he send them out of the room? We're talking about genuine forgiveness today. Point number one would be this. Genuine forgiveness does not bring... Shame to the individual. I think the reason maybe Joseph had everybody leave the room is he was about to unveil that he is Joseph to his brothers. And he knew in part of that he was going to have to retell the story about how they sold him into slavery. And he chose not to shame his brothers in front of these Egyptians. Man, that's not easy because our human nature is to get revenge, right? We want revenge. All of us, let's admit it, all of us in this room have been hurt at some point. Somebody has offended us and we can we can justify whatever we want to justify. However, the, the thing is, we want vengeance. A genuine forgiveness, though, will seek not to give shame. To someone else, and that is what that is what Joseph does here. He does not shame his brothers. He is letting them know there is no grudge here. Because you see, I could. Joseph is saying to his brothers, he doesn't say this, but he could say it. I could have you executed. I could have you imprisoned. I could have you sent back. I could do all these things to you, but I've chosen not to shame you at this point. Joseph is wanting to genuinely forgive and love his brothers. Let's go on a little bit farther. Let's pick it up in verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are not yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. Get this in verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. When he says father here, he doesn't mean I'm a stepdad or something like that. It means counselor and advisor. He's telling his brothers, listen guys, he said, you, you did not send me here, but God sent me here. And he has sent me here in a favorable position. Point number two about genuine forgiveness is this. Genuine forgiveness removes barriers. Removes barriers. Look at look at what Joseph asks his brothers or tells his brothers in verse 4. He says, come near to me, please. Come near to me. Listen, if somebody has offended me, I don't want to be in the same room with them. I can say I forgive you from another room. I can say I forgive you out here. I'm not saying have you come close to me. But what Joseph wants to do is he wants to restore his brothers. And so he says, come to me. Don't come to me as judge, jury, executioner. I want you to come to me as your brother. I want you to come to me as your brother right now. And so what happens is, is he's removing all those barriers. The insecurity of his brothers. The guilt of his brothers. All those things. That could come between him and his brothers. He is wanting that barrier to be removed right now. Now, probably some of you in this room who have been offended and hurt, I know that if someone has offended me, I don't want to be in the same room with them. Have you ever been in that position to where maybe as a large group and somebody that has hurt you happens to walk in and you see them from a distance and all of a sudden all those ugly feelings just come up inside of you again and you're thinking, oh, I thought I dealt with forgiveness. I thought I dealt with that. But yet, they keep coming back up. And so what Joseph's wanting to do is remove any of those barriers that would be between he and his brothers. Uh, number three. Genuine forgiveness includes grace. Genuine forgiveness includes grace. It's one thing to say... I forgive you. But it's another thing to act in a godly way, the way that God has responded to us. Let me give you three terms real quick. First term is justice. Now, justice, what justice is, justice is you get what you deserve. Okay? So, in other words, you're driving 80 in a 55 and you get pulled over. The law says 55. You chose the liberty of going eighty. you get pulled over police officer comes up to you and said, "Hey, the speed limit's fifty five you 're going eighty. Uh, uh, justice would be you 're going to get a ticket and you 're going you're to have to pay that fine because you broke the law. Now we look at that from a spiritual perspective and what the Word of God tells us, and we know by nature the wages of sin is death because we have sinned. We're separated from God. Because we have broken His law in every way, if you've broken it at the least, you've broken it all, but because of that, we are doomed to a sinless, uh, uh to a sin-filled hell because we are, uh, we have broken the law that God has set forth there. That's justice. You get what you deserve. We don't want justice. There's another term called mercy. Now, mercy, take the same scenario. You're going 80 in a 55. You get pulled over by the police officer. He comes up to your car, say, hey, did you know what the law was? Yes, sir, I did. You, you're going to 80. That's breaking the law. Yes, sir, it is. You deserve a, a ticket. You probably deserve to be locked up. But I'm going to choose to not give you a ticket. That's mercy. We want mercy, right? We want what we don't do not uh, we we what we should deserve, we don't get. That's mercy. We take that in a spiritual context, what God has done for His. Justice, the wages of sin is death. Mercy, God sent Jesus Christ to die in our place so that we do not suffer the punishment of our sin. That's mercy. We like mercy. But there's another term that I want to define for you, and it's grace. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Grace is an extension of just the love and and compassion of an individual in this way, Joseph, but it is a loving God unto us. We're going to read, we're going to see as you go on in the scriptures. That Joseph not only says, come close to me, you are my brothers. He is extending mercy, but he is also extending grace. Because what he is going to do is, because you are my brother, you are going to be able to come from Canaan down to the land of Egypt. You are going to be able to live in the most choice land in Goshen. You are going to get the fat of the lamb. Pharaoh himself said... uh, He was pleased with what took place. He was going to send all his wagons to go and get the family, which would be a five- and six-day walk by foot. But they were going to be able to go because the Egyptian wagons were so special to be able to go and get them and bring them back. Can you imagine that if you were in the land of Canaan and all of a sudden these Egyptian uh, wagons come up to load up the the Jacob and his family? But they're going to take them all down. See, this was grace-extended by Joseph to his brothers. Now, you're with me. Please grab this. Wages of sin is death. Justice is we ought to die for our sin. The But God demonstrated His love for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's mercy. But He has given us His very Holy Spirit. Wages of sin is death. Yes. Free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. His grace says... I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And literally, the way I look at it is this. You get pulled over for doing 80 and a 55. Justice would be to get a ticket. Mercy was, I'm not going to ride a ticket. Grace is, scoot over, I'm going to take you to dinner. That's grace. God, in a spiritual way, said, because you've broken my law, You're unholy. You cannot come into my presence. You must go to hell. Mercy, Christ died in your place. Grace, you can't even live this life out on your own. So I'm going to take over and send my Holy Spirit to live inside of you. That's grace. One other thing about genuine forgiveness. Genuine forgiveness sees God's hand at work. In verse 5, the Scripture says, Joseph's talking to his brother, he says, For God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7 says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. You see, Joseph saw God's hand at work through this whole thing. Even in the, the toughest times, he saw God's hand at work, and he was able to comfort his brother say, Brothers, you screwed up. You sent me in, into slavery. You did all this, but listen, it really wasn't you. It was God at work the whole time. Some of us need to know that today. Some of us have been offended. We've been hurt by somebody. And we, we say we've forgiven, but have we really forgiven? We, because we want the vengeance. Truly genuine, grace-filled uh, uh, forgiveness is going to come when we are able to not shame the individual, but to tear down as many barriers as we we can, to use the grace of God to dispense that upon that individual, and to see God's hand at work through that whole thing. But Mark, that's impossible! You're exactly right. If God does not change us, we can never truly love somebody else. You remember Jesus said, when He taught us how to pray, He said... uh, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because if we do not forgive those who trespass against us, then you cannot forgive our trespasses. Boy, that's strong. Because what Jesus has laid out here is forgiveness is not an option. You're called to forgive. I, I talked to you about the blessings that Joseph poured out on his brothers. Pharaoh was pleased. Man, when the king's pleased, all's good. He gave them these wagons to come. He gave them the choice land in Goshen. He gave them the the, the fat of the land is what it says, which would be whatever food they had, they were going to be taken care of. I mean, wh- because of nothing they did, because they were simply Joseph's brother, they were able to receive all this. But there was one other thing. That Joseph did, and so if you still have your Bibles open, look at verse 21. It says, The sons of Israel did so. They did all of that Joseph asked of them. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father... He sent, as follows, ten donkeys. I mean, he sent them tons of stuff. But I I thought about that in verse 22. He gave them a change of clothes, and then he gave Benjamin five changes of clothes. Have you ever, in these ten weeks, seen how garments, clothes fit into the life of Joseph? I spoke about this a few weeks ago, but I, I looked at it even deeper and And you remember when Joseph, his father, gave him the ceremonial coat, the coat of many colors, the coat with sleeves, they say. It was an ornamental coat. And it showed the favor that uh, Joseph had with his father. Of course, his brothers were jealous, and they ripped the coat off of him, and they put him in a pit, and they take the coat back and rip it up, put animal's blood on it, and they go... bring it back to uh, Jacob and say, your son's dead. He had the coat of favor, and then you remember he was sold into slavery. He ended up at Potiphar's house, and he was taking care of Potiphar's house, and Mrs. Potiphar got eyes for Joseph, and so she ripped the jacket off of him, and he fled away, and I I call that the, the coat of false accusation because he'd done nothing wrong, but she used that coat against him. And then, uh, you remember when he got promoted into second man in the nation under Pharaoh, Pharaoh gave him a coat, and that coat was all authority. All authority had been given to, uh, um, to him at that point. And then here he is giving coats to his brothers. I, my mind kind of thinks about that because the Bible's silent. And sometimes when it's silent, we got to be careful about getting too creative, but I thought, wouldn't it be a beautiful picture if the ga- the garments that Joseph gave to his brothers were ornamental garments, like Jacob had given to Joseph as a boy? I I, I call this garment the garment of forgiveness and reconciliation. You had the garment of favor. You had the garment of being falsely accused. You had the garment of authority. And you had the garment of reconciliation and forgiveness. Look at the life of Jesus. The Bible tells us that before the creation of the world, that Jesus was was sitting in authority at the right hand of God the Father. He had all authority. He had all favor with the Father. And that's the garment he had. But he took off, according to Philippians 2, he was willing to remove himself of that garment and come down among us to be a slave among us. And then you remember that when Jesus was brought before Pilate, they took that scarlet robe after they had flogged him and put it over him. And he was waiting for the condemnation of Pilate and Pilate falsely accused him right there. And then you remember three days after he was crucified, the ladies come to the tomb. And as they come to the tomb, they see a garment that is laying there empty. That one day, one, one moment earlier Jesus has been in, but now he was resurrected. Those are the garments that Jesus returned to all authority. But you know what he offers to you and me? He offers us the garment of forgiveness and reconciliation that's available to any man who will call upon the name of the Lord. What about you? I don't, I don't mean have you done all the church stuff. I mean have you come to the point of saying, Lord, I have sinned against you. And you have every right for justice to wipe me out. But you've tro- chosen justification just as if I've not sinned. I long for mercy. I long for grace, Lord, because of what I've done. I don't deserve it. And maybe today, the Lord is saying, "Listen, it's time for you to respond." I uh, there's not a whole lot of forgiveness stories that are as powerful as Joseph with his brothers, but some of you may be familiar with Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom. Just to give you some background for you that do not know, her family were in Germany. They were uh, under the Nazi regime. They were Christians. They would take Jews and hide them out in their house. They were arrested along with the Jews, and they were sent to concentration camps. Corey Ten Boom and her, her, her sister Betsy were sent to Ravensbrück. They went through the horrendous torture of that um, concentration camp. In fact, Betsy uh, died. And Corey Ten Boom, in her book, The Hiding Place, just talks about the horrendous things that took place there. Well, what happened is, is that after Corey Ten Boom, the war ended. She got out. She was still alive. Because she was a follower of Jesus, she went and spoke to different churches, especially in Germany. In one particular church she went to speak, there was an SS officer that was there to hear her speak. And in her book, The Hiding Place, she talks about that moment. And she says, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. A former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly he was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church service was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Glomendale, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I pray, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on His. When He tells us to love our enemies, He gives along with the command the love itself. Listen, genuine forgiveness you cannot give on your own. But when you experience the grace that God has poured out to you, then you can give it to others. Some of you have gone through some horrendous times. I mean, we've all gone through bad times, but some of you are thinking, man, Mark, I was abused, or um, my husband abused me, or or, a father abused me, or somebody abused me, or you've gone through, Mark, things have been just totally hard in my life. And, and, And I can understand that. People treated you... Unjustly and all those kind of things. I understand that. Even though I've not lived through it. But my prayer is, if grace can be bestowed to us, can by the grace of God we learn to dispense grace upon others. Dispensing grace, this this just came to me. Dispensing grace upon others, yes, is good for them, but it is life-changing for us. I heard a statement that said that, uh, you know, kind of a greeting card kind of statement, you know, uh, all things, um, basically all things work together in the end. Or all things come out okay. In the end. And the inside said basically, if things aren't okay, it means it's not the end. Some of you are going through some things and you just want to pull on the side of the road and just stop. And God is saying, listen, the story's not over yet. It's not over yet. I want you to bow your heads with me, if you would, just a moment. Listen, this has been a story of grace and forgiveness. Maybe you, another individual, has extended grace and forgiveness to you. Ultimately, God has extended His grace and forgiveness to us. But the Lord is speaking to your heart right now about maybe a situation in your life that you need to reach out and and receive His grace so that you can give it. As I was reading last night and just praying about this morning, the Lord prompted my heart with something and, and it's simply this. You cannot say no to the world until you say yes to God. How many of us are trying to flesh out this Christian life and it cannot be done until we say, yes, God, you take over. Yes, God. Yes, God. My challenge this morning as our worship team is about to sing over us and allow us to join in with them is, are you willing to say yes, God, today? Father, I pray for these individuals that have come this morning. I know we live in, in days of, um, of flux and flexibility. and the Media wants us to walk in fear, but we choose not to walk in fear. But Lord, we need You. And Lord, uh, just a word of warning You've given to all of us is that if the church cannot learn to forgive, then the world's never going to forgive. So, Lord, teach us, by Your Spirit and Your grace, how to, how to forgive. And, Lord, I pray for that individual in this room right now that has never responded to Your grace. May their prayer today be, Lord, that they know they deserve justice. Because of their sin. But Lord, they ask for grace. And You are so faithful. Lord, please speak to us now. I, I, I just speak this in reverence to You. God is, is moving right now. God has been at work all morning long in our services. I do not want you to miss what He's doing. If you want to come to these steps and kneel and pray, you have permission. If you want to pray with, with someone else, uh, uh, just distance yourself and pray. I mean, we, we want to hear from God today. So why don't you reverently stand with me? Just stand. Ask the Lord to speak to you so that you can walk in obedience this morning to what He's asking of you. Father, speak to us now.